0: All right, Echo Church, how are we feeling this morning? Everybody good? All right. Some good energy. That's what I like to hear. Hey, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Davey Blackburn, and um, I have had, I've been here a few times, and I just I, I always love being back with my Echo family. I do consider you guys family, extended family, but uh, just a little bit about me, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, um, my, uh, we, my wife and I, we lead a ministry called Nothing is Wasted, where we travel around the country and speak and help churches and help individuals who are going through trauma, tragedy, or major life transition, and we help them discover purpose in their pain, uh, ultimately because I have, this, I have this holy discontent, and that is that the enemy, right? How many of you guys know we do have a very real enemy? It, it might, we not be, may not be able to see him, but we can perceive him. We perceive him in, in a lot of opposition or obstacles or discouragement or frustration or adverse seasons or pain in this world, right? But his desire would be that you would be paralyzed in your pain, that it would rob you from the God-given purpose that God has put in you since before you were born. Okay? And the reason this is a holy discontent for me, I've been here and I've shared my story. Many of you guys are going to remember the story. Um, but in 2015, my, my wife at the time, we were pl- pastors and church planters. She was murdered in our home, in a home invasion. And uh, she was pregnant with our second. And so we also lost the baby. Um, our 15-month-old at the time was in his crib the entire time. I was away and came home and discovered all of this. And so um, now that 15-month-old is seven. Since then, God has, re- has, has written this incredible redemption story, which is, by the way, what we're going to talk about today. He's written this incredible redemption story in our lives, and we feel like we've just been along on the journey. And so um, I've remarried, and uh, we've blended our family, and now we've dedicated our lives and our time to help other people who are in pain. And so uh, in our ministry, nothing is wasted. We just released a 42-day devotional. Um, and so I'd love to connect you with this. Right outside at Guest Services, there's a lot of stuff going on, but we will also have these available for you. They're normally $25. Today you can get them right out here for $20 to uh, so make it really easy for you. Or if you're online and you're watching this, just use the promo code ECHO. You guys can remember that, right? Echo, and you can get that for $20. It's 20% off of the price ultimately. But I want to talk about something today because we're in the series uh, talking about living again and really kind of coming back to life again after all of the craziness that we've experienced as a nation and probably you individually as well. I want to talk about redemption. Do you know what redemption means? You hear this word a lot in Scripture, and, and maybe you're familiar with it, but, but I want you to understand it simply defined redemption is when someone pays a price to take something that was on the shelf, that was not being used, take it off the shelf, and bring it into purpose. How many of you know that there are things that come at our life, things that we maybe didn't foresee, or whether it's something that we've done, or something that's been done to us, that ends up neutralizing us, paralyzing us, putting us on the shelf, so to speak, right? And now we feel like we've been robbed of our purpose. But I need you to understand, if you get nothing else in here today, That our God, 2,000 years ago, wrapped himself in flesh in the form of Jesus, he walked the earth, and then he went to the cross, and he died for us, paid the ultimate price of his life, so that we, our lives, could be taken off the shelf. Come on, what the enemy meant for evil in our lives, the sin, the pain, the grief, the shame, the hardship, that it put us on a shelf, it neutralized us, and he took us off the shelf, and he wants to put us back into purpose. And I believe the hardship that we face can actually become a greater catalyst, or he God can leverage that for even greater purpose in your life do you believe that and so I'm hoping by the end of this as you begin to understand redemption through the story of Ruth that you will also begin to believe that God can take whatever the enemy meant for evil in your life he can turn it around for good And as I travel and speak and I share our story people inevitably come up to me and they say man that's incredible what God has done to write a redemption story in your life but I don't know if that's true for me and they asked me, they said, Davey, how do, how do I make sure that that story, can that be true for me? And I say, listen, a redemption story is possible for anybody, no matter where you're at. No matter your baggage, no matter your pain, no matter your brokenness, no matter your sin, no matter your mistakes, whatever you want to call it, a redemption story is possible for you. God is writing redemption stories. You get that? This is the narrative of all of history, that he is writing a redemption story, and it's true on the macro level, it's also true on the micro level in your life. The question is, are you gonna position yourself to fit into the flow of God's redemption story? Because we do have that choice. What I love about God is he gave us free will. He gave us choice. He's not robbing from us anything. In fact, he loves us so much that he has empowered us and endowed with us the Imago Dei with a creative choice to choose to receive him or reject him. And so we get to choose whether or not we're gonna position ourselves to fall into the flow, the wave of redemption in our lives. I learned this uh, a couple years ago. My wife and I went to San Diego, California, and we took surfing lessons. Anybody taken surfing lessons before, been surfing? Okay, awesome, nobody. I've surfed the web, Davy. I don't know what. <laughs> okay, well let me tell you about surfing lessons. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty intense. Uh, I thought they would teach us a whole lot. They didn't. We're riding the bird scooters around San Diego, and my wife's very spontaneous. She's an Enneagram 7, if you speak Enneagram language, and I'm very planned. I like to have everything planned out to a T, even our vacations. So I had this point. We're going to go ride the bird scooters, and then we're going to go over to this restaurant. We're going to eat chips and salsa and guac, and then we're going to have this, you know. So I, she goes, there's serving lessons. Let's go do surfing lessons. I'm like, well, it's not part of our schedule. And so we compromised, <clears throat> and we did surfing lessons. Uh, so... <laughs> If you know, you know, right? So we go down, we started, and this this girl comes out to give us these surfing lessons, and I thought it was a joke. She was like the quintessential caricature of a California surfer girl. She comes out, our surfboards are in front of us, she goes, oh, hey, are you ready to catch some rad waves? I'm like, that's funny. Oh, she's serious. Okay, Uh, yes, I am ready to catch some rad waves. And She goes, all you have to do to catch the rad waves is just position yourself to catch the rad waves. Okay, let's go. And I'm like, whoa, that's it. I'm like grabbing my board. We're following her. We're like, oh, there's like things out there that will eat me. You know, like I I need a little bit more instruction than this. She stops halfway to the ocean, and she goes, wait, 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 wait. I forgot. I'm like, okay, this is where we get a little bit more instruction. She goes, I just want to remind you there's stingrays at the bottom of the ocean floor, and you need to shuffle your feet because if you step on them, they hurt real bad. Okay, let's go. And I'm like, oh. (laughs) So we get up. But here's the thing. She was right. It was, it was pretty simple. Now, listen, it wasn't easy, okay? Like, I, I, didn't, catch, I didn't catch on right away. <laughs> in fact, I know exactly how, you know, like those front load washers. I know how your laundry feels because um, it just. But, but when I finally did catch the wave and rode it in, it was life-giving. And what I learned about surfing is that there's this perfect pocket, like this alley, that if you position yourselves in that pocket, not too far out, Before the wave begins to form, but also not too close to the shore where it's already crested and crashed over you. You have to find this perfect alley. You face the ocean, and then when you see the right wave, you turn your board around and you begin to paddle with the wave. And man, when I caught that wave, it was just like this rush of adrenaline. I rode it all the way in the shore. I'm like, did you see that? That was amazing. And afterwards, I began thinking, you know what? That's just like redemption in our lives. That's how God writes redemption stories. That if we can position ourselves properly to catch the wave and the flow of what God is doing in this world and in our lives, we can experience a renewed sense of purpose. We can experience a renewed new identity if, listen, if we position ourselves. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. So I want to talk about how do we do that. I've got three things. If you want to write these things down, if you're note takers, write them down. If you're not a note taker, write these down. The first thing that we need to do to position ourselves for redemption is we need to immerse ourselves in the places of God. Immerse ourselves in the places of God. We're going to look at the book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. It will be on the Sky Bible behind me. If you don't have it, Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we'll do this flyover of the story of Ruth so you can catch the entire story. This is what it says in chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land. Stop. You see this? Automatically it introduces to us an issue. A season of trial, of adversity. You can fill in that blank famine with anything, right? There was a pandemic in the land. There was there was a there was a miscarriage. There there was a divorce. You, you fill that in, but at the end of the day, this is, a, this is a trial that these people were going through. It says, so a man from Bethlehem, recognize that place? Recognize Bethlehem? It's a very prominent place. We, we're going to come back to that in a second. A man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, before we get going, I need you to understand, Bethlehem became the birthplace of what prominent figure? Hello. Jesus. Okay, so this is like the, this is like the epicenter of, of kind of our faith, the place where Jesus was born, right? Moab was the epicenter of a region that was governed by the enemies of God, the Moabites, all right? So see the picture here. They leave Bethlehem. They go to Moab. It says the man's name was Elimelech. Say Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon. And Kilion, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. There it is again. And they went to Moab and lived there. Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So the first five verses of the book of Ruth introduces to us these complex tragedies that begin to take place in these people's lives. You've got three men who have died, there's a famine in the land, and you're left with three widows. And what we're gonna see in this story is these three widows made three different choices that sent them on three different trajectories. And I hope that you find yourself in this story. The first thing we have to realize, though, is that when a Jewish reader the original Jewish reader but actually listener because there was no like written uh, word at this point there was all, all passed down through oral tradition when they heard the first 3 or first 5 verses of this being read, uh, said out loud they wouldn't take note of something. They would have taken note of how many names are listed in this passage right here. Because names were a huge deal to a Hebrew family. They didn't just, like, pick names, you know, just kind of haphazardly, just like, uh, oh, you know, what's, what's on trend? And, or, you know, what's, what's not going to get them made fun of at school? You know what I mean? Like, they didn't do that. They were prayerful about it. They asked God, what do you want this person's name to be? Because the name became an identifier for this person's, like, like personhood but also life. It was like a prophetic prescription for how their life was going to go. And every name had a positive connotation and a negative connotation, like two sides of the same coin. And so they would be prayerful about the name. They would name this child this, and then they would step back, and they would watch to see the trajectory their life took. And they all knew that the choice of that child lay in that child's hands on whether it was going to go the positive direction or the negative direction. And so they would have taken note, oh, my gosh, there are tons of names listed right here. Let's look at the first name, the name Elimelech. Elimelech means God is king. There's, there's, there's a lot of irony in this because Elimelech, who was from Bethlehem, the epicenter of the promised land, which was the place that God said, hey, I want you as my people to settle, and as long as you stay in the promised land, I'll always provide for you and protect you. I'll take care of you. Listen, even when there's famine, this guy decides when there was famine, when there, something squeezed his life, I call them sponge seasons of life, hello, when life squeezes you, what comes out of you is what's already in you, okay? Your character is revealed more under pressurized seasons than it is in seasons that are going well, hello. And so when life squeezed him, he decided instead of trusting, as God, trusting in God as his king, he decided to go to Moab, and, and history tells us he struck up a strategic alliance with the king of Moab. The reason is because he didn't have much confidence in God to provide for him, And he didn't have much confidence in his sons to provide for him. His sons' names were Malon and Kilion. Malon means invalid. Come on. And Kilion means wasting away. So he's like, I don't have much confidence in my sons. I don't have much confidence in God. And so I need to strike up a strategic alliance with the king of Moab. Would your granddaughters marry my sons so we can be taken care of right here? So his granddaughters, Orpah and Ruth, marry his sons. And listen, friends. Was he taken care of? No. Because he struck up a strategic alliance with the wrong God, the wrong king. Let me ask you a question. What strategic alliances are you striking up in your life? What places are you feeling like maybe God's not coming through for you, and so you're looking to something else to try to come through for you? Are you, are you looking to the God of, come on, little g God of alcohol? I mean, are you looking to the little g God of, of sex, pornography, addiction? career achievement like what are you looking for to fill that god-sized void inside of your heart that only god can fill but i can promise you you can run down every single route of one of those little g gods and it will always fall short it will always disappoint you it will never satisfy you or satiate that deep desire inside of your heart but we as human beings constantly strike up these strategic alliances, trying to use these as coping mechanisms for when life hits us. How's it working? You see, because of this, these, this family was not positioned properly when tragedy struck their life. See, it kind of blows my mind. Like Moab, like Moab was a was a drier desert region than Bethlehem was. I know things were dry in Bethlehem, but Moab was like, it was a desert It was way drier in Moab. It's amazing to me how many times when life seems to dry up or something in our life dries up, like our marriage dries up, Or or our work dries up. Or even like the church we decide to attend, it feels like that's kind of drying up. How quick we are to jump ship thinking that the grass is greener over on the other side. Can I tell you something? I promise you, the grass ain't greener on the other side. It's always drier on the other side. And here's a limelight. God is my king decides I can't trust God in the midst of this season that feels dry, so I'm going to jump ship and I'm going to go over here, and it doesn't work out for him very well. Now look, tragedy doesn't strike our life because we take ourselves outside of the protection of God. Pain doesn't strike our life because we take ourselves outside of the protection of God. Tragedy and pain hit everybody. Come on. Because we live in a fallen and broken world. But can I ask you a question? When pain hits your life, would you rather be in Moab or Bethlehem? Would you rather be in the places of the enemies of God, where you don't have the protection of God, where you don't have the, you're not in the flow of God's uh, redemptive story? Or would you rather be in Bethlehem, where God's presence is, where the, the places of God can cause your life to, to thrive, where it can revive you, where it can refresh you? Come on, would you rather be in Moab or Bethlehem? See, what I've learned is that even when it doesn't make sense, when our marriage is drying up, when, our, when, our, when it seems like this setting, this season right here, when it's dry, we need to plant Roots, where we are, and and thrive and grow where we're planted. You see, on that same trip to Col- uh, to California, we went to Napa Valley, and uh, we were kind of doing the wine country tour and stuff, and doing wine tasting and stuff. And um, I I was very surprised by the climate of that region, because I had never been out there. I thought, as I'm thinking, Napa Valley is rich. You know, grapes and this wine that comes out of it, that it was going to be, that was going to be moist and, and it was going to be like dark, fertile soil. And as I walked along the rows, it was dry and rocky and arid. And I asked the sommelier, the wine expert, I said, hey, what's like, this doesn't make sense to me. He said, oh, yeah, the best fruit grows in dry and arid soil. I said, what, what do you mean? Like, how? He said, he said, because the vine has to struggle. And when the vine struggles, it produces this really rich fruit that becomes a blessing to people. Come on, this reminds me of something Jesus said in John chapter 15, that he is the vine, we are the branches, that if we remain in him, and he means even in the struggle, even in the suffering, even in the hardship, even in the adversity, if we remain in him, we will bear much fruit, but apart from him, we can do nothing. This is is what I mean by being in the places of God. So, like, practically speaking, are, are you immersing yourself in the places of God? Like, are we getting in, like, getting in God's word? Right? Like, I know sometimes it can feel like, man, it's just dry. I don't, it's confusing. It's, I don't understand it. But if we posture ourselves regularly to get in God's word, more importantly, let God's word get in us, right, to be filled with God's word. If we posture ourselves regularly, God will speak to us. One thing is I love about the Hebrew language is that there's usually there's words that, that kind of get connected, and, and the etymology of them get connected, and, and when they get connected, they, they have meaning that attaches to itself. And so the word desert is the word midbar. Say midbar. Midbar. It, it is uh, connected to a root word, dobar. Do you hear it? Midbar, dobar. Dobar means speaks. Oh, come on. You know what that tells me? that God speaks to us most in desert seasons that if we, he can kind of remove us from all the distractions that are going on if he can get everything else that we're looking to to kind of depend on and cope and manage and all of this kind of stuff if he can remove us and get us in this dry season then he can speak to us he can impart to us the mysteries of who he is in a way that is much richer than we've ever experienced in our lives come on, do not jump ship when life gets dry because it's in those moments that God wants to impart inside of you some mysteries of him stay in the marriage work on it Because out of that, there's going to be some fruit. There's going to be some fruit. So we have to immerse ourselves in the places of God. What we also have to do is we have to surround ourselves with the people of God. Surround ourselves with the people of God. You see, uh, the family leaves, and and they're on their way back to Bethlehem. Because now you've got three widows. You've got got Naomi, you've got Ruth, and you've got Orpah. And they're going, what do we do next? It, It says this. It says in uh, verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people. Come on, God always comes to the aid of his people. Let's go. Even in the last hour, he's going to come in and rescue and be at the aid of his people. It says that he he provided food for them. She, Naomi, and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. They get halfway there, and she gives them an ultimatum. She basically tries to persuade them to go back to Moab. She's like, there's nothing for you. These are my people. Those are your people. Why don't you go back and start your life over? And Orpah says, okay, I'll do that. And she goes back to Moab. Orpah's name means the back of the neck, the nave. So literally, Orpah's response in all of this is she turns her back on God. Come on, how many of you have ever been there? Right? or because something has happened in our lives we're like where are you god well i guess you're not so i'm just, i just turn my back i choose to go my way rather than your your way. Here's what's so cool. You can run from God, but you can never outrun God. Let's go. Even the fact that you are sitting here right now shows you that God is relentlessly pursuing after your heart because he wants something great for you. Come on, he's not trying to take something from you. He wants something great for you. And he's brought you here providentially to hear me blabber my mouth (laughs) about how much he loves you and he has called you and he wants a purpose for you. But Orpah decides to turn her back. Ruth, on the other hand, decides to do something different. It says that, uh, that she is in conversation with Naomi, and, and Naomi says, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. Ruth replies, no, 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 no. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. I love this. It's like the understatement of the century. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, right, she stopped urging her. Ruth doesn't even know this God. But there's something about Naomi that draws her to God. Do you know why we have to surround ourselves with the people of God? Because the first step away from God is the step away from the people of God. And that works adversely as well. Often the first step toward God is the step toward the people of God. Here's Naomi who becomes this this influencer in Ruth's life. And she goes, I don't know this God, but I've seen him all over you. And I can't help but wonder, does he have a plan for me? So she says, I'm going to go with you to the places of God, and I'm going to surround myself with the people of God. Are you surrounding yourself with the people of God? They get to Bethlehem, and uh, there's this provision in God's law that he gave to his people. And it's a provision to take care of the orphan, the alien, and the widow. By the way, you notice this? Ruth is all three of these. The orphan, She's an orphan, right? Because she's lost now her family. She's an alien because she's for- she's a foreigner, she's not from there, and she's a widow. She's lost her husband. And and in that time period, if you were those three things, your status in society was very very low. You had no rights, you had no like you couldn't you were ostracized, marginalized, cast off from society. But how many of you know our God goes after those people? That the people that the world would discard, our God says, no, I want that person on my team. I want to use you no matter what has happened in your past, no matter what you're coming to me with. If you just put it in my hands, I can restore it, redeem it, and use it for a great glory. Come on. And so he says, I want my people to also be people with my heart that would provide for the orphan, the alien, and the widow. So the way that he did this is because they were an agrarian society, they grew crops, when they would harvest their grain, they would leave the corners uncut. And the orphan, the alien, and the widow could come and they could glean from these corners. They could have provision from these corners. That's the way that God would bring them back into the family of God or into right standing with society. And so here's Naomi, who who, she's one of God's people. She knows this. She's Jewish. And Ruth has no idea. So Naomi encourages her as they come back to Bethlehem, and and Ruth sees this field. This is what it says right here. It says, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Say Boaz. We'll get to that in a second. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields, you see this, and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So Naomi goes, Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters now when i read this i asked the question what drew ruth to this field okay the author decides to tell us this field belonged to boaz boaz his name means strength ruth has no idea that boaz can hold a very prominent place in her story has no idea the reason that Boaz can hold a very prominent place in her story, you guys with me? You guys with me? The reason is, is because there's two people that can actually adopt Ruth into this society. She's, a, she's, she's an outcast. There's two people. One is uh, one of, one of his family members, and the other one is Boaz. Okay, Boaz is what's called a kinsman redeemer. He has the ability to purchase the right to bring Ruth to redeem her, into society. That's how the society worked back then. So Ruth sees this field, has no idea that this field belongs to Boaz, has no idea the significance Boaz has in her life, but she's drawn to this field. What drew Ruth to this field? What was Boaz's name? What did it mean? Strength. I believe what drew her to the field was a culture of strength. Why do I believe that it was a culture of strength in this field? All the workers probably carried that characteristic of strength. Because if you're a leader, a supervisor, a boss, a manager, an owner, you know that the culture of what you lead flows out of who you are. Come on. So if you are a person of character, a person of strength, you're going to impart that into the culture of your whatever you're leading. If you're a parent, come on, your kids, that more is caught than taught. Let's go. You can say things all you want to, but how you live your life is how your kids are going to. The ethos of your home, the ethos of your business is going to reflect who you are. If Boaz is a man of strength, then the ethos of his fields were, was a culture of strength. So Ruth goes, you know what? I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know what, what's going to happen in my life. I don't know how I'm going to kind of get restored into society. But I do know that I need to surround myself, hello, with people of strength, you see, Dave Ramsey says that you are the average of the ten closest people in your life. Come on. You want to know where you're going to wind up in five years? I can tell you. I'm just going to look at your closest friends. That, that will determine the trajectory of your life. Are you surrounding yourself with toxic people, negative people, people who are, who are speaking negative things into your life? Or are you surrounding yourself with people who are lifting you up, people who are speaking hope into your life, healing into your life, God's promises into your life? Come on. You know, you will become what you surround yourself with. If you're surrounding yourself with gossipers, guess what? You will become a gossiper. And there is nothing that will destroy relationships around you that will destroy the movement of God here more than gossip. Gossip is when you go to somebody else about a problem that you have with someone else. Come on. And then we disguise it in the form of, oh, we're so bad at this in Christianity. So bad at this. I find my non-Christian friends, they're way better at like, not gossiping. They just go straight to the source. They call it out. They try to find some kind of harmony in the, at the table. But in Christianity, we disguise it and cloak it as prayer requests. Oh, man, bless her heart. We've got to pray for her. Did you hear? Do you know if someone is coming to you and gossiping about someone else, they are gossiping about you to someone else because that's who they are they need a work of god in their life for some reason they feel like that they're building themselves up by talking other people down don't surround yourself with people like that come on echo church if that happens in here call it out god has called us to the partnership to partner with him in reconciliation that means if there's an issue if someone has offended you come on go straight to the source sit at the table if you need to, find a mediator. But this right here, when we begin to find reconciliation, there's life. There's, there's, there, there, there's so much healing that can take place at that table. And that healing will reverberate out through Hendricks County. And they will begin to say, what is it about the people of Echo Church? Why do they seem so different? Well, because we are surrounding ourselves with people of strength. And we are building a culture of strength and character and fortitude. So no matter what happens in our lives, we have, we have resilience. That comes from the Holy Spirit of God. This is what we're to be about. So you're surrounding yourselves with the people of God. The third thing we have to do, I don't have a whole lot of time, so you guys got to listen faster, um, is remind yourself, remind yourself of the promises of God. Remind yourself of the promises of God. Let me go kind of and back up a little bit. So before these two women, as they're coming into Bethlehem for the very first time, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19, it says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Naomi means sweet. So all the women were stirred because she had this way about her that was so sweet. It was so contagious. They're like, Oh, I'm so glad Naomi is back. Watch what Naomi says, though. She says, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Naomi. Mara. Hmm. Mara means bitter. It says because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. You know what I found is the the single greatest marker of bitterness and resentment in our heart is blame. We begin to blame everybody else or God for the problems that we're experiencing right now because of this thing, bitterness, inside that festers inside of our heart. Bitterness will rob from us the God-given destiny that he has for us more than anything else. And what's even more tragic about this is that Naomi decides to take a situation in her life and she decides to let that situation be the defining thing about her life. She decides to label herself by her situation. And because of that, that label became a limiter to what God could do in her situation. You hear me? I see this so many times. People will say, this I am, and you put it on Facebook profiles and Instagram profiles, especially with the people that we're working with. I am a widow. I am a widower. I am a divorcee. I am unemployed. I am an addict. Friends, can I tell you something? In Christ, that is not who you are. Come on, let me say it again. In Christ, that is not who you are. That is a particular season or struggle of your life, but that is not the defining characteristic of who you are. You don't get to call yourself that, friends, in Christ. Because Jesus purchased naming rights for you. You guys know how naming rights works. Banker's Life, just a a few years ago, was up for a renewal of naming rights. Canseco Bank had a subsidiary known as Banker's Life. And 12 years ago, Banker's Life bought the naming rights to the the Coliseum for $40 million. Come on, Echo Church, if you guys want a, a good marketing strategy, that might be, you know, just like buy Banker's Life or something, right? Echo Coliseum, that'd be awesome, right? Just a cool $40 million. That's an exorbitant amount of money just to put a label on a building. Isn't that crazy? Why would someone pay that much to put a label on a building? Because everyone sees that label. Everyone sees that name. Friends, do not put a label on your life that is reduced down to the situation that you are going through right now. You are not that. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus purchased naming rights for you. When he went to the cross and he defeated death. And shame and guilt and sin in your life and he says you don't have to be called that anymore you don't have to be called that anymore I'm gonna call you something different you are chosen you are my child you are adopted you are custom designed I have chosen you as a royal priesthood I have chosen you as a holy nation Jesus purchased the naming rights for our life and if we begin to limit ourselves with our labels friends it will limit the redemptive work that God wants to do in our lives be that situation I know you feel it these are very real emotions very real feelings I mean how many times I mean, come on you know your emotions are going to lead you astray right emotions are great they're a God given thing right God gave us emotions but he gave us emotions to tell us where we are not where to go hello he gave us these emotions to to be a, a gauge for us not a guide Our guide is to be the Word of God. Our guide is to be the promises of God. Our guide is to be the things that He's spoken over our lives. And unfortunately, Naomi decides that she's going to label herself by her problems rather than the promises of God. Come on, friends. Do you know what we're doing when we're worshiping God? We are inviting the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, to step into a situation and saying, God, I do not want my situation to be labeled by the problems anymore. If I focus on the problems, if I speak out the problems, if I continue to obsess over the problems, those problems will grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But come on, God, if I focus on your promises, if I focus on who you are, if I focus on who you say that I am, if I call those in during worship, then my problems will shrink in the light of who you are. This is what we do. Naomi becomes this footnote in this story now because she has labeled herself she is not able to produce anything from here she's kind of in a neutral space Orpah turned her back on God Naomi grew bitter toward God but you know what Ruth does Ruth decides to do something different she decides to do something different she decides to remind herself of the promises of God Look at where this story lands. It says one night, after all this has happened, it says Ruth goes down to the threshing floor and does everything that her mother-in-law told her to do. At least I'm so grateful that even though Naomi limited herself in the redemption story that God wanted to play out in her life, she at least had the wherewithal to point her daughter-in-law Ruth to God's redemptive narrative. It says, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly. Look at this. Uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. I mean, I'll say, like, if you uncover my feet in the middle of the night, I get cold, right? So, it says, uh, he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. <laughs> Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, if you don't understand the context of what's happening here, this sounds extremely strange, doesn't it? It's a very weird scene. I promise you, it gets weirder, okay? (laughs) Because that phrase, uncovered his feet, doesn't actually mean in the Hebrew, uncovered his feet. This phrase is used at a different situation in the book of Exodus that I won't go into, but what that phrase means is uncovered his circumcision. Told you it got weirder. You might be in here like, baby, what's, I don't understand, what's circumcision? Pastor Chad would be happy to fill you in on all the details of that. (laughs) The essence that you really have to understand is that circumcision became the marker of the covenantal relationship between God and his people, dating all the way back to Abraham. When God called a people that said, I want your name, I want you to make my name known throughout the earth and help people to understand how their stories can be redeemed, he called a man named Abraham, and he said, the thing that's going to mark and characterize you in the promise that we have made right here, where I'll, I'll, I'll always protect you, I'll always provide for you, is I want you to circumcise your, your young men. And so when Ruth comes over here and she uncovers his circumcision, it's not inappropriate, it's nothing weird like that, what she is doing is she is reminding Boaz of the promise he made with God. Because God said, if you're going to be my people, you're going to redeem people back into society and to have good standing in society. And so you're going to be a kinsman redeemer. And so Ruth, oh, Ruth goes, listen, I know my problems are really big right now. I know that there has been some crazy stuff that has happened in my past. But there is something right here where, God, you said just this little clause in this contractual relationship, this covenant, you said I could be redeemed. I could be restored, and this man Boaz is the one to do it. This man Boaz is the one to bring me in, and so she reminds Boaz of the promise that she made God. Come on, how many of you know sometimes you've got to remind God of his promises? Not because he's forgotten, but because when we remind God of his promises, what is it doing for us? It's reminding us of God's promises. So when we sing, when we worship, and we proclaim the promises of God, it's getting deeply entrenched in our heart. this is what Ruth does and Ruth ends up producing a very fruitful line her out of this relationship out of this marriage between her and Boaz Boaz does purchase her back so to speak pays the dowry to bring her into right standing they have a great grandson and that great grandson is known as anybody know David the greatest king that Israel ever knew by the way also a really great name um and out of that lineage came the King of Kings. Come on. Jesus. But here's the question we gotta ask. Whatever happened to Orpah? Right? The one at the very beginning who turned her back on God? Well, the, the rabbinical teachings, right? What rabbis teach about the life of Orpah? It doesn't say this explicitly in scripture, right? I need you to know that. But what the rabbinical teachings say is that she went back to Moab and she had four great-grandsons. All four of them were giants one of them named can you guess Goliath so you've got Ruth who because she befriends God she produces in her lineage the greatest king that ever lived who was a shepherd boy that ultimately, come on, because Orpah right here produces this ever-increasing animosity towards God's people, the evil, the adversity, the, the 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 opposition to God's people. But the shepherd boy from Bethlehem, come on, he would be the one that would defeat Goliath. And then ultimately, coming down that line would be Jesus, the, the, the good shepherd, the king of kings, who would defeat evil in our lives ultimately and finally when he went to the cross and he raised from the dead. Come on, this is how God writes redemption stories. And none of it's coincidence. He wants to weave all of that in your story as well. He's not going to carbon copy your story to my story or to anybody else's story. He always does a new thing, and he's going to do a new thing in your life as well. The question is, will you position yourself? Will Will you immerse yourself in the places of God? Will you surround yourself with the people of God? Will you remind yourself of the promises of God? Listen, the best way that you can do this, the best next step for you, if you are not connected to a church, get connected to a church. You have an opportunity to do that today with this open house. If Echo Church is not your church, that's fine, but get connected somewhere. Get connected. Don't be doing this bouncing around and trying to just kind of, you know, like play this game. No, get connected because it's in that connection that we experience redemption. Can we do this? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done in here how you've stirred in our hearts, how you've moved in our lives. I ask that you would just do something really powerful in these moments as we respond. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, I'm just really curious, maybe today something struck you and you're like, you know what, Davey, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've never really just surrendered my life over to God's ways for my life. I'm not talking about, you know, hey, like I struggle and all this. I'm talking about you realize today, man, I I need to turn the keys of my life over to Jesus. I've been calling the shots. I've been doing things my way. But today I realize that that is leading me on a dead end. And and, and today I want to step into a relationship with Jesus. I want to step into this redemption story that he might have for my life. If that's you, listen, nobody looking around. I want you to just do something real quick. Would you just put your hand up in the air real quick let me see, say, I man, today, I want. Like, I just want to step into a relationship with Jesus, Davey. Amen. Amen. You can put your hand down. I'm going to pray for us. If, if that's you, if you raise your hand, if you're feeling that in your heart, I just want you to say this after. Say, dear Jesus, I know I need you. I've been walking life for myself and by myself trying to do things on my own and today I realize I I need you I want to step into your redemptive plan for my life whatever purpose you have for me whatever way you want me to go I surrender that to you I receive what you did for me on the cross I believe that you raised from the dead today I'm making a decision to follow you I may not have it all figured out. I may not know what tomorrow holds. But I want you to be my guide. And I want you to be my God. So today, I tuck myself, just like Ruth did, under your, your garment. And I ask that you would lead me. In your name I pray. If you prayed that prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, we'd love to connect you. Just tell Pastor Chad afterwards, say, hey, hey, Pastor Chad, I I prayed that prayer with David to receive Christ. And I just want to know what's next. Jesus, I just just ask right now that you would just, as we respond in worship, would you remind us of your promises? Would you remind us of who you are? Would you help us to to know and feel and sense it? Would you help us to know that you have brought us into this place for a time such as this? To redirect our, our path. to to send us on a new trajectory. And and I pray that you would fill us up with your presence and fill us up with your spirit as we respond. We give you all the praise and honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Hey, thanks so much for joining with us online today. If you prayed with us just a moment ago, I want to challenge you to do something right now. Text the word ECHO to 94253. Click on the link that we'll send you and then take the bold step of letting us know the spiritual decision that you just made. Don't let what God is doing in your heart stay here. We can help you connect with others and grow in your faith. So right now, text ECHO to 94253 and let us know. In fact, for anyone that's wanting prayer, or anyone that's interested in connecting an ECHO or taking a spiritual next step, text ECHO to 94253 and let us know how God is moving in your heart. If you have preschool and elementary children, I also wanna encourage you to find our videos that we upload just for them. You can find them on our YouTube channel, Midtown is preschool, Uptown is elementary. Now, these videos are a lot of fun, and they're a great way to spiritually encourage your family. More than anything, I want to invite you to bring your children to experience Echo Kids Live each Sunday at Avon Mill School South. They have an absolute blast playing meaningful games, learning the Bible, uh, talking in small groups, and singing and dancing. Our Echo Kids team would love to welcome them very soon. Finally, if you'd like to get back to Echo through a tithe or offering, you can do so at echochurch.cc and simply click on the Give button. If you prefer, you can also do this in the echochurch.cc app and click on the Give button there as well. Uh, we wanna thank you for your generosity and let you know that God is using your gift to echo His love into the hearts of so many people. All right. Again, thanks for joining us online today. Next Sunday, I want to invite you to join us in person at Avon Middle School South. And of course, we'll continue to have our messages online as well. Listen, we love you guys and we will see you soon.